So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. The title of the study is your, is your name in the book of life. And we'll talk more about that when we get to verse uh, 3. But basically in this section as Paul is kind of like winding down the ending of the letter. He's going to, you know, basically share kind of like things with us. You know, we find ourselves in different situations. And so like, boom, 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 bullet points. And let me just kind of share with you what they are. Number one is to, is to be careful. And so you're on track. Don't go back. Stay on track. Don't go back. Make sure you keep your eyes on the Lord. Paul does that. He tells them to be careful because he cares for them. Number two, uh, be single. And that doesn't mean you can't get married. And that doesn't mean that you married people get a divorce. Okay, be single. It means we need to be united, not divided. Because we want to be strong as a church. And the only way that is possible if we stay united. We have to be single-minded. Number three, be helpful. And so Paul's going to talk about how they can help, you know, these two sisters who need help to stay together. But no matter what, we want to have that mentality, you know, to help one another. Number four is to be joyful. And so, you know, basically, if you're here today and there's reason to be down, Paul is saying, I want you to fight it with faith and make a, with faith and make a choice to rejoice. I remember one time I went to the hospital. I went to go visit this guy. He had an infection all in his body. And we didn't know what was going to happen to him. And so I walked into the hospital room. And you know what he did? As soon as I walked into the hospital room, he's all, praise God. Praise God. And, and this guy, he's an awesome brother, man. You know, no, you, you, you do that by faith. Not that you're praising God because this happened to you. But you're praising God because you know that God would never allow the pain without a purpose. And God works all things together for good. Now, is that a reason to praise God? It is. And so we have to make that choice to rejoice. We have to be gentle like Jesus was. We'll talk about that in verse 5. And then the last thing is to be hopeful, knowing that the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so verse 1, notice what we read here in Philippians 4. He says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren... My joy and crown, so stand fast or stand firm in the Lord, beloved. And so therefore, probably is belongs into the previous chapters, kind of like a conclusion. It's probably best to be understood to be connected there, where in chapter 3, Paul encouraged the Philippians to follow his example and those who were like him. Follow those of us who are following Jesus. Don't follow those who are the enemies of the cross. There were some people who said the cross was not enough, and there were some people who said, well, the cross is too tough. So those who said the cross was not enough said, you know what, the blood of Jesus is not enough. I need to put religion into that. I need to put sacraments into that. I need to put good works into that. They were trying to add to the gospel, the Judaizers, with all their rules and regulations. And so Paul said, don't follow them. If you follow them and you get caught up in religion, in ruts and routines and regulations and works, then Paul said, then those works will be counted as a debt against you so don't follow those who say the cross is not enough listen you guys when you put your faith in jesus christ 
the moment you put your faith in Christ, you are saved by his blood. Because he died for you on the cross, he rose again. And the Bible says, whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, believes, that's all you have to do, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The cross is enough. But then there were those who said, well, the cross is too tough. I can't really deny myself. Those are the ones who do sex before marriage. No, you have to deny yourself. You've got to get married. You've got to make it right with God. You can't be going and getting high and getting all the, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, and all those things. So many addicted to pornography, and they think they're okay. it's okay. Listen, you guys, whatever the situation is, the Bible says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow the Lord. And so there were those who said the cross is uh, not enough or the cross is too tough. And Paul here, he warned them. He says, no, look again at verse one. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand firm. Make sure you don't go back, but you stay on track. And as he's warning them, because this is the thing, man, I just want you to go to heaven. Not that I'm trying to heap these burdens on you. I love you. I care for you. And so I remember one time someone told me a while back, they said, hey, Manny, whenever you're giving that medicine, because sometimes it doesn't taste too good, put some sugar in the spoon, you know? And that's exactly what Paul does. Look again at verse one. Therefore, my beloved. He's calling them his beloved, and he does it again at the end of the verse. You know, he calls them You know, beloved, twice he refers to them as just telling them basically, listen, I love you. This is why I'm sharing with you these things. Same thing back in chapter 2, verse 12. He referred to them as his beloved. The Greek word, we get our word uh, agape from it, or that's where the Greek word is. It's speaking of God's deep, divine love. And Paul, as he's writing this to them, as he's sharing, as he's communicating, he's just telling them, I gotta know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, too uh, macho to, to tell you. Listen, God loves you. Beloved, this is who you are. I know it's bad grammar, but let me just say to you, you be loved. You know, that's kind of like what he's saying, man. You know, let's, let's care enough to remind people of that. You know, maybe there's someone here that, that that's really like, man, the main truth that you're going to come away with today because you weren't loved by your dad or you weren't loved by your mom or you weren't loved by your friends or you were never loved by anybody. And it's, sometimes it's hard to receive that kind of love, you know, and you're like, man, that sounds foreign to me. I don't know how to accept that. And this is a a lot of times the challenge of our life to open up our heart and to understand the good days, the bad days, everything we've done wrong. It doesn't matter. God loves you. God loves you. You are the beloved of God. It's so important for us to have that understanding. And so we got to care enough to remind others that God loves them. And I believe at the same time, Paul loved them as well. And so we read this address towards the church 114 times in the, book, in the Bible. And so I pray you would know your, your love. Paul says, let me put some more sugar in the spoon. Number two, look what he says there in verse one. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren. In the Greek word right here, it means to desire. It means to yearn after with deep affection. 
And here's Paul. He's writing this letter. He's in jail. There's no doubt that he wants to see them. He wants to be with them. He had a desire to be with them. And I believe it was from Paul, but I believe it also is a message from God. God is saying, I yearn for you. I desire you. I love you, and I long for you. If you think about it, this whole thing that we're experiencing on planet Earth is God's invitation. Will you come to heaven? Will you join me? Will you live with me forever in heaven? He yearns for us. He desires this. This is what Paul is saying right here. You know, Paul wanted to see them so bad. He even wrote earlier in Philippians 1.8, for God is my witness. Like, I'm not lying. You might think I'm lying, but I'm not lying. God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And so just like Jesus uh, longed for them, just like Jesus longs for you, Paul did as well. You know, he puts that in the, in the spoon that he longs for them, he loves for them. It's not that he just wanted to get out of jail. It's not that he wanted to get rid of the chains. He wanted to see the church. He loved and longed for them. And then, and then thirdly, um, he, he loved them so much that this third spoonful of sugar is that he calls them his joy. Think about that. You know, many Bible students have identified joy as the theme of this letter. Words like joy or rejoice or other similar terms occur 16 times in only four chapters. And so here, uh, Paul here identifies them as his joy. You know, whenever I see you, I get this big smile on my face. I get this joy in my heart. When I think of you, I get joy. When I'm with you, I get joy. This is Paul, but this is also God. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So what we find is that when Jesus was on the cross, you know what kept him there through all that pain, through all the suffering, through all the separation that he went through, through all the darkness, through all the demons, through all the devil, something that we could never even begin to imagine. What kept him on the cross was not the nails. It was the love and it was the joy that one day he would see you, you in heaven. And this is what we find right here. Paul here is saying, this is the Lord and, and this is me. You're loved, you're longed for, you're my joy. And he even says, you're my crown. You're my crown. Notice again there in verse one, he says, therefore my beloved long for our brethren, my joy and, and, and my crown. And you think about that and you're like, Wow. The church, uh, we look at each other and sometimes um, we frown and God says, no, you're my crown. <laughs> you're my crown. First Thessalonians two nineteen through 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory. You are our joy. And so here, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, he also had a special place in his heart for his friends in Philippi, and not just them, but really all the saved souls brought this kind of joy to his heart. You know, just seeing you there, and one day we'll be in heaven, and you wonder what kind of rewards we'll get, and there will be rewards. If you're a good worker on planet Earth, guess what? In heaven, you'll be rewarded with more work. Isn't that cool? (laughs) 
more responsibilities to serve God and this is going to be so amazing in heaven. But part of the crown is being able to see the people that maybe you were used by God to minister to them, to reach out to them. You prayed for them. You loved them. You served them somehow. And of course, we know it's mutual, right? So I get to, you know, sometimes serve people. They don't realize what an encouragement they are to me. You know, they're my crown. And in one sense, I'm, I'm their crown. All I know is that Paul here says, that's my reward that I look forward to. You are. You are my crown. And so he tells them, as he's he's careful, as he cares for them, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. You know, I can't tell you how many people used to go to church and they don't anymore. Over the years, man, we've been here for a long time. We've seen a lot of people come in, sit in those pews, or maybe even preach from this pulpit, and they're not there anymore. And I'm not sure, only the Lord knows their heart, but I wonder, God, have they drifted away? Have they fallen away? Paul here says, stand fast, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And then after he tells them, you know, hey, be careful. The second thing he tells them there is be single. In other words, united, not divided. Verse two, he says, I implore Euodia and I implore Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. And so you know how sometimes the ladies, they get, they, you know, they get into it. Paul here is saying, you've got a couple of gals, and imagine this, he named them by name. Imagine being famous for that reason. Yeah. One day we're going to meet them in heaven. Oh, you're Euodia. Hopefully she made it, but we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> and, and, and she'll be like, yeah, I was famous. But you know, Paul here says, I beg you, ladies, they can't force it, but he could ask them, urge them, plead, even beg with them. I'm begging you, please be of the same mind in the Lord. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement like grown-ups. Live in harmony in the Lord. Because so much of our life is in the mind. So much of it is a battlefield, man, where the enemy puts these crazy thoughts inside of our mind that don't belong. Don't you know that the enemy, that's all he can do is lie? And so he lies and lies. He did it in the very beginning. He knows it's the best way to get to us. And so we have to make sure that we win the battle in our mind. Look at chapter 2, Philippians 2. Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And then in chapter 3, in verse 16, he says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. And so, so much of it is here is our thinking, bringing every thought into captivity, setting our mind on the Lord and the things of the Lord. And when I get my mind tuned to God's and you get your mind tuned to God's, then we'll have our minds tuned with each other. And even if we do disagree on something, we will do so in love. Because we know that that, you know, sometimes there is a diversity that requires the harmony, but we love each other and we don't allow the enemy to divide us. You know, it it didn't seem to be a huge issue in the church, but when you read Philippians, it's kind of the undertones until finally he kind of, you know, identifies these ladies. Because, you know, as any pastor will tell you, the potential for division 
in a church can start with even the smallest, most insignificant crack. And you see it there, and, you know, she's talking about, oh, can you Pastor Manny, he's doing that, or, or Shelly, I almost said Pastor Shelly, Shelly, she's doing that, or Pastor Henry, or Pastor Mark, can you believe they said that? And, you know, the little seeds of discord start being planted, and what you're doing is you're, you're planting that seed of discord, and God will say, hey, First uh, Corinthians 3, don't do that, because I'll destroy the one who divides the church. You know, you can't talk smack about someone at church. Sometimes you might even say something bad uh, about the pastor in front of your kids. How will your kids ever receive from him ever again? You know, we don't talk bad about people and prayerfully that goes all through the church. And if there is things starting to fester and starting to, you know, because next thing you know, well, yeah, you know, I see you're right. Oh, no, you're right. People start choosing sides. And next thing you know, man, we're in big trouble. Every pastor knows the potential for division. And so here were these two sisters. And Paul was telling them, come on, ladies, you got to work this out. You got to love each other the way that God loves you. Think about that. You know, Psalm 133 is a great chapter. I encourage you to read it later. Just how beautiful it is when the church is united. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. And so dealing with it in different churches. You know, I read about one pastor who was on the phone he said, bad news, uh, and he's calling the bishop, bad news, bishop, our church planning team is divided on whether to call the new congregation First United Church or United First Church, and they're divided over this, and I'm like, bro, you're not even united as a church. I... <laughs> but believe it or not, sometimes people, they divide over the silliest things. You know, I, I read about a young rabbi, he found a serious problem in his new congregation, so during the Friday service, half the congregation stood for the prayers and half remained seated. And each side shouted at the others, insisting that theirs was the true tradition. Nothing the rabbi said or did helped solve the problem. So finally, in desperation, the young rabbi sought out the synagogue's 99-year-old founder who was his predecessor. And so he met with the old rabbi in the nursing home and poured out his troubles. He said, so tell me, was it the tradition for the congregation to stand during the prayers? And they, the, the, rabbi, the old rabbi said, no. Ah, so the younger rabbi said, it was a tradition to sit during the prayers. And the old rabbi said, no. And so the young rabbi then responded, well, what we have is complete chaos. Half the people stand and shout, and the other half sit and scream. And the old rabbi said, oh, yes, this was the tradition. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, we don't want that kind of tradition. Look around uh, uh, to the people next to you. Man, we're different backgrounds, you know? Some of you guys, you come from the hood, and some of you guys, you know, you're coming from whatever, different neighborhoods that are nicer, and we have different nationalities and different ages, and di di diversity is just so beautiful, so beautiful. Let's make sure that we embrace one another, that there is a singleness, that we are united in this, and Paul here, it was so important for him after being saying be careful and be single. In verse three, he said, be helpful. 
Look what he says, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me or struggled with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so he's asking someone now, you know, to help him out. We don't know who the true companion or partner is. I think we could safely assume it's one of the leaders, influencers, uh, someone that would be helper in the church. Um, If you think about it, the Philippian church was planted only 10 years earlier. And so it could have been the Philippian jailer. You know, remember he got saved. It could have been Lydia. We don't know, but it was somebody there. And he just says, hey, I need you to help. We don't know who it was. But we do know Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's just say you got one person over here and they start, they come up to you one day and they're like, yeah, I can't believe, you know, that, you know, she did this or he did this or can you believe this is going on? And you have a choice right there at that moment. You can join them in and you can be, yeah, you're right, man, we should go suck them or in the face or something. And you're like, yeah, we're going to get into that. And then, but there might be someone who rather than, you know, wanting to just get your favor, would rather get God's favor. And you know what? Let's work this out. Let's see if somehow we can bring peace Because right here, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So this is an individual who shows the DNA of their heavenly father. The peacemaker is the one who has the genetics of Jesus. And this is why we're so interested in being involved in that process. And this is why Paul here is asking for help. You know, when you look at this, it's interesting because we could endeavor, we should endeavor to bring reconciliation to any situation, any division, but even more so here because these were a couple of sisters, these were, were a couple of ladies who labored in the gospel with the, Paul the Apostle. And, and so you can visualize it there. God's doing a great work. The devil hates it. So he comes in and he says, okay, where's the weakest link in the armor and the academy come between these two and start separating them and and to me when i look at this i'm like wow lord this is what the the enemy does and then as a as a quick side note i was also thinking about the fact that how god uses the ladies in such a tremendous way you know and so yeah maybe a, a lady can't be a senior pastor she can't be a pastor at a church the bible says in first timothy chapter two but man she can do so much You know, we're living in a world now where unfortunately they say, hey, I don't care what God says. I'm going to, you know, raise up a female pastor anyways. Or I don't, you know, well, this is what the Bible says regarding the role of a husband. This is what the Bible says regarding the role of a wife. Or this is what kids are supposed to do. This is what a boy is. This is what a girl is. And they want to rewrite everything. And I think for us, the main thing is this. Let's stick to God's word. You know, women, yeah, maybe they can't be a pastor. But man, they can have more influences than a pastor. You know, through their prayers, through other means, they're they're teaching, they're serving. One thing I've learned in church through all the years is that the women, sorry guys, but the women tend to be more faithful. And so here we see these women, they're kind of like the women with Jesus. Who, Who was there at the cross when Jesus died? The women were, only John was. Other than that, it was just the ladies. 
Come on, guys. <laughs> it's like the ladies have more courage. And then later on, we know they were the ones that went to the tomb. They were going to finish the anointing of Jesus' body. We read in Luke chapter 8, it says, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And it says in verse 2, Certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. There's no doubt about it, man. The ladies, amazing, the way that they were used, even in the ministry of Christ, the ministry of Paul, and we see it even today. And so Paul here, he mentions these ladies having a problem. He says, hey, uh, companion, can you help them out? Because they labored with me in the gospel along with, and he mentions someone named Clement. We don't know for sure if there's the Clement, you know, in, in church history um, or, or these other individuals, we're not sure. But he does mention the fact that their names are written in the book of life. Now that is a big one. Okay, so I know you guys are already thinking about in and out right now. You're like, okay. I'm, how many of you are here? I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you're here. <laughs> All right. Um, this is the one. Is your name in the book of life? Because that book, the Bible says, no one gets into heaven unless your name is in that book. And you're like, well, I'll, I'll do it later. You may not have later. You know, sometimes when I'm praying and I'm talking to God, I'm like, Lord, thank you so much for me not dying of an overdose when I was sucking on nitrous oxide, when I was snorting cocaine, when I was doing all the stuff that I used to do, when I used to drink and drink and drink and drink and then drive. Because if I would have died I would have went to hell. I could have died so many times. Listen, you're not invincible. No one is. You want to make sure that your name is in the book of life. You have to make that decision. Going to church does not mean you go to heaven. And so you want to make sure your, your name is in there. I remember one time Shelly and I, we went to an event and, you know, to me, it almost sounded too good to be true that they, you know, they contacted us and they say, hey, if you want a free weekend, you know, this amazing conference, this amazing hotel, we're talking about like a hotel for rich people. And so, you know, we're like, okay. And so, you know, we went, we showed up that weekend. And uh, when we first got there, they were having a hard time finding our name in, this, in, in their list or in their book or whatever it is. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please let our name be here. Because number one, it's so, it would be so embarrassing if our, if our name wasn't there. Number two, if our name wasn't there, we could not afford this place. There's just no way, right? And so thank God, eventually, after I've sweat a little bullets here and there, eventually they found our name. And man, what a weekend that was. It's like that. It's like that in heaven. You know, the last thing you want to do is be standing before God or there you are on your deathbed and you're wondering, man, am I saved? I mean, your name must be in the book of life. You know, some verses I want to give you, we don't have time to turn there, but Revelation, there's many references in the book of Revelation. Chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 13, verse 8. Chapter 17, verse 8. 
chapter 20, verse 12. And if you only get one verse, here it is. Read Revelation 20, verse 15. Because it says, if your name is not found in the book of life, you're cast into the lake of fire. That's a heavy verse. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. You know, there was a time, I remember, when Jesus had sent the seven disciples out and he gave them authority over demons and, man, there was some miracles that they did and they came back from that missions trip and they were rejoicing and they were saying, Lord, it was an awesome missions trip. All the demons were subject to us in your name and they were so happy because they had authority over demons and that would be pretty cool. You go up and you start, you know, pushing all these demons out of people and cast, that would be awesome. But the Lord told them in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven is your name there if not i pray that today you would know that god loves you so much that he brought you to hear the simple message that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ who did all the work, he paid the punishment, the price that we should have paid, he paid it for us. You put your faith in him and right there, man, how do you spell your name again? Oh yeah, my real name, I don't know if it's gonna be Manny, my real name is Manuel, Manuel Antonio Coronilla. There it is. You know, and Coronilla means little crown and so I already know one day I'm gonna get a little crown but still it's okay. (laughs) It's all right. Be careful, be single, be helpful. Number four, be joyful. Paul says in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, like that guy in the hospital room, praise God. You know, you can do stuff like that, not because that in and of itself is good, but because you know God is working it all together for good. Paul doesn't, to me it's interesting, he doesn't go up to him and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing good, bro. You know what? I just won the lottery and different things like that. Oh, praise God. No, he doesn't even ask them what's going on in their life. It doesn't matter what's going on in their life. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you didn't hear me, (laughs) rejoice. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. And in the Greek language, it's a present tense imperative. It means it's a continuous command. You're going to do it for the rest of your life. Wake up in the morning, praise God. Hurt your knee, praise God. You know, different things happen, praise God. Because I know, Lord, that you would not allow the pain without a purpose. I know, God, you're going to work all things together for good. I trust you, God. And I know that's hard, but here Paul is saying it's important for us to express our faith to God that way. It's important to realize this, that the path to joy begins um, with the choice to rejoice. You know, you may not be feeling it. A lot of times we're not feeling it. But he says, no, you have to make the choice to rejoice. You know, I I wonder sometimes, and I've grappled with this, is it okay to want to be happy? And I think, yeah, I think yes, but it just depends on how you would define it. You know, some might consider it a fine line between, you know, happiness and, and joy, 
You know, joy obviously is, is, is deeper. Joy is when we are able to take those trials and convert them to smiles, but maybe not on our face. Maybe they're on our heart because deep inside our heart, Lord, I, I know you're going to work this out for good. I know, Lord, you're going to work in my children's life, in my friend's life, in my spouse's life. You know, one thing I've learned in life is that God knows how to get them. God knows how to get their attention. You can trust him. We can have this joy, right? Because we believe in this sovereign love and plan. And what we find today, and I I, I honestly believe that we will finally find joy when we start pursuing the things that we think will make us happy. You know, because a lot of times that's what makes us miserable is because we're pursuing, you know, this, that, or the other, or that person, that place, that, that thing. We're pursuing them, and God says, no, you're, you're going to find joy when you start pursuing the things that you think will make ha- you happy, and you start pursuing me, and you follow hard after Christ. And when you do, I think it's then where you're able, no matter what the situation is, you know, to to rejoice, and you make that choice to rejoice. You know, it's interesting, in the Greek language, they're able to emphasize certain words. And so, like, for us, if we're writing something, we might circle it, or we might bold it, or we might underline it. In the Greek language, there's an emphasis on that word, always. To me, it's interesting, because notice what it says again. It says, rejoice in the Lord some days. No, it doesn't say that, huh? Okay, rejoice in the Lord Sundays. No, it doesn't say that. Rejoice in the Lord when you get your ways. No, what does it say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And when you do that, it shows that you have faith, that you believe. Paul's joy wasn't based on some sort of superficial optimism or positive mental attitude. No, it was based on complete confidence in Christ. We have to have that. Number five, he says to be gentle. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And so if your gentleness is known to all men, then that means you'll be known by all men for your gentleness. Hey, that guy over there, he's a gentleman. That sister over there, she's a gentle woman. Not harsh, not disrespectful, not rude, not vulgar, not brutal but gentle. You know, uh, and not just at church, but you'll be gentle at home because your gentleness is to all men and women, not just church family. So it becomes your disposition, right? You uh, finally find yourself in good company. Jesus was known to be gentle, the Bible says, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. As a matter of fact, God the Father is gentle. Psalm 18, 35, it says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness, God, your gentleness, your long-suffering, the way that you have been so patient with me has brought me prosperity. And God says, that's, that, that's how he is. Paul here is writing, when you feel like, you know, getting harsh and getting angry and, you know, socking a wall or whatever it is, you know, sometimes we, you know, I think this is why he's writing these things. It's not just random. When you feel like you're, you know, you're so upset, God says, I want you to respond in the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to be gentle. 
And, and when you find yourself, you could be down and depressed and defeated and discouraged, and there you are, completely depleted. Paul says, no, I want you to rejoice. And when you feel like separating and dividing and you know, talking smack and gossip and slander, Paul says, no, I want you to be united. I want you to be helpful. I want you to be careful because, man, this world has a way of trying to take you the wrong way. And so he's writing these things, I believe, when we find ourselves in those situations. And as he tells them to be gentle, gentle, he says to be hopeful because the Lord is at hand. You know, how do we make it through this life? You know, some of you guys here, you have gone through such tremendous trials, so many things. I, I, you know, not been there. I don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, none of us know the things that we're going to go through, but the things that you go through sometimes, and you're like, man, how can, how can we do this? I remember one time someone asked, you know, Pastor Raul, you know, they're like, man, I don't get it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to try to serve the Lord and try to be obedient and try to just, you know, follow him. And it just seems like my life, it just doesn't seem like it's all falling into place the way that, that I would want. And the simple answer was, well, I don't get it. Why is this happening? happening I, how can i cope and and the simple answer is you're not home yet you're not home yet you know one day we'll be home and no more tears no more trials no more sin no more satan no more suffering no more sickness no more death but we're not home yet but the lord I tell you what he's at hand and i think that's part of the reason when you get older Time starts flying faster. Have you guys noticed that, Matt? It's like all downhill. No, I'm joking. It's not. <laughs> it's crazy how fast it's going, you know? But I get excited. I get excited because the Lord, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Who? Jesus. Jesus. I love you guys. I really do love you guys, but I'm sorry. I love Jesus more. So I love being with you. I especially love being with my family. Nothing like being with my family. But there is nothing like being with Jesus. And so when you're there and things get tough, Paul here says, hey, the Lord is at hand. Manny, you see what's going on in Israel. You see what's going on all around you. Just know this, that my coming is near. You know, I, I'm at the door. Some might say, well, Manny, they wrote that a long time ago. Man, 2,000 years ago. Well, listen, what the Bible says is one day is a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is one day. So in God's calendar, it's only been two days, man. <laughs> but I do believe he's coming soon. I do know that he loves you. Why would anyone reject the free gift of salvation. If you're here and you have not yet received that free gift, I pray that today you would. You want to make sure your name is in the book of life. 